0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You want irony? Today, June 7th, is actually Clean
1: Air Day in Canada. Look it up. The lead starts right now. From Canada all the way down to the Carolinas, thick, hazy wildfire smoke engulfing much of the East Coast. If wildfires have been burning for more than a month, why did it get so bad today? And how long is this going to last? And former President Donald Trump swears he's being attacked unfairly again and desperately wants you to hear his side of the story. And he's just released a new TV ad starring some wild animals to make sure you get the message all this while former vice president mike pence jumps in the race against trump and chris christie believes he can beat them both i'm going to ask governor christie how ahead when he joins me live on the lead Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. Uh, We're going to begin today with our health lead. As much of the eastern United States is being choked right now by a dangerous haze of smoke caused by more than 400 raging wildfires in Canada. Air quality alerts are out for more than 55 million people across the Northeast, Midwest, and Mid-Atlantic. The air is so unhealthy in New York City right now that an actor stopped a Broadway matinee performance this afternoon because she had difficulty breathing throughout the eastern coast people's eyes sinuses throats irritated from the exposure schools canceling outdoor activities health experts urging those in affected parts of the country to wear masks if people have to be outside if you've been checking your phone's weather app you've been getting the alerts and seeing the unhealthy and in some cases hazardous hazardous air quality numbers impacting cities from New England to North Carolina the blanket of orange smoke swallowing up major cities such as New York City, making high-rises disappear in the haze. It looks like a Star Wars movie there. Officials say yesterday's air quality in New York City was the worst since the 1960s, before the EPA was created. Right now, it's currently among the worst in the world. CNN's Athena Jones is in New York for us. Athena, tell us what you're seeing and experiencing right now.
2: Hi, Jake. Well, this is remarkable. We've been reporting on this all day. And several hours ago, we were along the Hudson on the west side of Manhattan. It didn't seem that bad. You could see the haze. Now it feels as though we're living, breathing, working in a giant cloud of smoke. Yes, you can see a few yards in front of you, but not much beyond that. Let me just show you. Uh, this is the southern direction. We're on the east side of Manhattan. You can see some buildings a few hundred yards in front. But see that big, tall building on the right? Usually you can see a lot more skyscrapers beyond that. This is Manhattan. It's a city known for all of its tall buildings. Moving over here to East 57th, we're on East 57th Street. This trip goes up to West 57th Street. It's something some people call Billionaire's Row. Tons and tons of skyscrapers, apartment buildings that are a hundred stories or more. Can't see any of it. And then finally, I want to show you to perhaps one of the most dramatic scenes we have. We're right near the East River here. And you can still make out The 59th Street Bridge, Uh, here's the East River. You can see Roosevelt Island, but just past that, you can only see a few of the buildings in downtown Queens. Usually you can see a lot more buildings than that. And so that uh, gives you a sense of what New Yorkers are dealing with here. And if you, you mentioned the phone, my phone shows me that the air quality index is at 244. That is way higher than it was last night when officials were freaking out at this being the worst kind of air quality we've seen uh, in in decades in this city. And it qualifies as very unhealthy. And that is very important, Jake. Our own company, Warner Brothers Discovery, sent out an alert saying to any any employees who may want to go outside to consider wearing a mask. And that is because of the particulate matter in the air. This is among the tiniest, most dangerous kind of pollutants. And it's the kind of thing found in this wildfire smoke these, are, these, particular, these particles are so small, they can get into the lungs when you breathe them in, get into the bloodstream, and cause all kinds of health issues. That is why we're seeing all the precautions taking place in Chappaqua. That's just in Westchester County, north of the city here. They just dismissed school early. So those are the kinds of precautions we expect to see more of uh, as we deal with this over the next uh, few days, potentially. Jake?
1: All right, Athena Jones in New York City. Thank you so much. About 250 miles south of Athena. The Washington, D.C. region is also feeling and seeing the impact from these Canadian wildfires and their smoke. CNN's aviation correspondent, P. Montine is at Reagan National Airport just outside D.C. across the river. Pete, the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, says this haze is causing low visibility. Is that going to cause flight delays across the East Coast and potentially rippling across the country?
3: Low visibility and flight delays all the way from here at Reagan National Airport, Jake all the way up to Boston. In fact, JFK could be added to the list soon of the next airport that will experience a ground stop. The ground stops have been lifted in the New York area. There was one earlier at LaGuardia, but right now at Newark, that is where the visibility is the worst, down to about a quarter of a mile. And the delays there, a ground delay program put in place by the FAA, meaning that flights are held at their departing airport before going to Newark, that is up to about an hour And 20 minutes for the delays on average. Even worse at Newark, it's about two hours, or at LaGuardia, excuse me, it's about two hours. Philadelphia just added to the list about a half hour delay on average. About a quarter of all flights have been delayed today into LaGuardia. In fact, the New York area is probably the hardest hit. Just spoke to a passenger who was on a flight descending into Newark. He said it was almost apocalyptic as they descended into that thick red smoke. He could actually smell it from his seat inside the plane. The delays and cancellations just keep going up. We've seen about 2,300 delays nationwide today, according to FlightAware. So far, the cancellations are relatively low, under 200, but that number could go up. We see the deck of cards occasionally come tumbling down when airplanes and crews are put out of position. When there's such a major weather event like this, the FAA has put in place these procedures to try and keep it so these planes simply don't get too close together as they're going into some of these major airports, Jake. All right. Pete Montine, outside Reagan National Airport. Thank you so much. So how
1: concerning is this hazardous smoke for for your lungs, for your nose, for your eyes? Can it trigger some serious health concerns? CNN medical correspondent Meg Terrell is joining us now to explain. Meg, who's most at risk right now?
4: Yeah, Jake, experts tell us that it's kids, the elderly, people who are pregnant, and those with heart or lung problems that are really the most vulnerable right now. And this can trigger issues in people who are vulnerable, obviously respiratory issues, things like asthma, COPD, but also heart issues. We just got an alert from the American Heart Association warning that there can be cardiac uh, sort of events that are tied to inhalation of wildfire smoke. I've been talking with doctors who say even healthy folks, depending on the dose that they get of the smoke uh, could be at risk for developing asthma and COPD. uh, If they still have symptoms, even after the air quality has gotten better, that might suggest they have developed that as a result of this. Uh, So really, you know, this is something that people are extremely concerned about. There are also warnings for pregnant women in terms of slightly raised risk of preterm birth. So they are really recommended to take precautions, Jake.
1: How can people protect themselves if they are in the area of this hazardous smoke?
4: Yeah, you know, one piece of advice that seems obvious is from the American Lung Association. They say if you can see or smell smoke, know that you are being exposed. And so they're saying stay inside if at all possible. If you have to go outside, the recommendation is to wear a high quality mask like an N95 or a KN95. That is something we're extremely familiar with from the COVID days. Uh, For indoor air quality, the recommendation is to run HEPA air filters in the home if you can. Uh, Shut the windows, run the air conditioning if you don't have one of those. And don't forget pets, Jake. A lot of these same precautions actually apply to our animal friends as well.
1: All right, Meg Terrell, thanks so much. Is there any relief in sight for these cities and areas shrouded in these plumes of smoke? Meteorologist Jennifer Gray tracking it all for us from CNN's Weather Center. Jennifer, how long is all this smoke expected to stick around?
5: Well, it's really a hard question to answer because as long as we're stuck in this weather pattern, we're really going to get smoke across the east. Now, one day it might be worse for New York. The next day it might be worse for somewhere across the Ohio Valley. But But it's really going to stick around in this region for quite some time, at least for the next 7 to 10 days and possibly longer. So you can see where the worst of it is right now. Of course, New York City is really uh, the worst uh, as far as visibility goes. Only about a mile in New York, Syracuse around two miles. But we've seen New York City down to under one mile visibility over the afternoon. The current air quality index, you can see all of these dots in red, purple, even extending into upstate New York. That's where we have the most unhealthy air. And that's what we were talking about, where people are being urged to stay inside, wear masks. New York City right now still tops the list at this moment with the worst air quality in the world. And it's been that way for the last hour or two. Of course, over the last two days, we've seen New York City bounce around from one to 10. But Jake, I think this is going to stick around uh, for at least the next several days.
1: Jennifer Gray and the CNN Weather Center, thank you so much. Let's bring in the governor of New Jersey, uh, Democrat Phil Murphy, Governor, uh, thanks so much for joining us. What are you being told about the air quality right now in your state? (laughs) It's either
6: bad or really bad, depending on where you are. Uh, We made the decision to close state offices at 3.30. We're encouraging, as your colleagues have said, young kids, seniors, anybody with heart or lung issues to stay inside. If you have to go out, consider wearing a a good snug-fitting N95 mask. We've encouraged all schools to suspend outdoor extracurricular activity. The Port Authority has our bridge traffic limited to 30 miles an hour because of visibility. It's, it's not good. There's no other way to put it.
1: What have you been told uh, from either the Biden administration or the Trudeau administration in Canada about how long this might last?
6: Yeah, it's hard to tell. Uh, last I checked in, I'm, I'm actually, Jake, got a call with the Canadian authorities right after I got off with you, uh, the Ambassador and or Consul General, to get their perspective. But as of a short while ago, of the many hundreds of fires in Canada, I think at least 200 were declared, quote unquote, out of control. So my fear is, and obviously this depends on the wind, uh, which way it's blowing it on all the other factors. My fear is that this could be with us for a while.
1: What is your advice to, to people in the state about dealing with this poor air quality beyond what you just said about uh, N95 masks and and kids and and the elderly and people with health conditions staying indoors? Um, what else are, are New Jersey residents supposed to do?
6: I mean, there's not a whole lot of other options, Jake. I mean, stay inside. Keep the windows closed. Um We have a website which is constantly updating the monitoring. So if you're out there living in Jersey, DEP, as in the Department of Environmental Protection dot NJ dot gov, I think is a smart place to go. Stay hydrated. As I say, stay indoors. And if you have to go out, uh, consider wearing a a snug, snug mask. That's uh, a quality one. But there aren't a lot of uh, unfortunately, this is one of these things where uh, there's not a lot of options uh, in the playbook.
1: Governor, last question before you go. Has there been an uptick in uh, your emergency rooms uh, in hospitals across New Jersey?
6: Have not uh, gotten word on that yet, but we are monitoring it, as you can imagine. We also have had our own forest fires. Let's not forget the climate crisis and climate change, which is bringing all of this to us, in addition to sloppy behavior uh, or malevolent behavior. Uh, And and so we're monitoring all of the above, including, most importantly, people's health.
1: All right, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, thanks so much for your time today. And uh, our best wishes, of course, to the residents of the Garden State. Another view near the World Trade Center in New York. The smoke has gotten thicker here uh, in in New York all day. Much more to come as this thick smoke blankets the Northeast. Also ahead, Uh, he specifically entered the Republican presidential race to take down Donald Trump, also to win. But he's going after Trump. Uh, Chris Christie, the... Former governor of New Jersey joins me live next as the field grows. How will he try to stand out? And facing legal jeopardy on multiple fronts, what is Donald Trump preparing to do? What is he preparing for in terms of a possible indictment? Stay with us. Now to our law and justice lead. As attorneys for former President Donald Trump brace for more possible indictments, the Trump campaign is hitting back with a new ad that is, as you might expect, a, a bit over the top.
6: Like
7: a pack of rabid wolves, they attack. So let's impeach him. Let's get tainted radical left prosecutors
1: to charge him. Hmm. Interesting. CNN's so you know, Kristen Holmes is here with uh, more on the ad. Uh, but let's uh, start with one of the prosecutors that we saw in that clip. Uh, We're going to start with CNN's Caitlin Plants, who's in Florida, where a grand jury in special counsel Jack Smith's investigation, uh, her testimony from a former uh, Trump spokesman today. Uh, Actually, we're going to go to uh, Kristen Holmes first uh, because we're having some uh, issues there. Uh, Kristen, uh, tell us more uh, about this ad. And and actually, let me start. Let me play a little bit more uh, attention, uh, play a little more another excerpt of the ad.
7: Here's a question for you. Just how far are the radical left and inside the beltway bandits willing to go to stop him? They all know they hate him for winning the fight to protect life, for exposing their deep state, for draining their precious swamp. And they already know he'll crush Biden.
1: So much there to fact check and dispute. But what are they trying to uh, accomplish with that?
8: Well, in this ad, it's the first time we actually see them using these images of Jack Smith, who is the special counsel. And it really seems to serve as a preemptive strike. And I have been told by sources close to Trump that he's been, as he does, crowdsourcing opinions on whether or not he's going to be indicted. I have been told by Trump advisors that they are bracing for an indictment, one specifically saying that they believe he will be indicted in this. And and this is the defense that we are likely to see. They are not just calling it political and a witch hunt and a hoax this time. They are also calling it election interference. And that was something that I was told by these Trump officials. They were going to be going to the Department of Justice to talk about the fact that this could be construed as election interference as he runs for his third presidential term. And one thing I do want to point out here is that it's not just Trump that they're worried about being indicted. Uh, We are also told that members of the team are very concerned that a low-level staffer as well as a maintenance worker at Mar-a-Lago are going to be indicted in this documents case. We know this because witnesses have been asked about both of these individuals, their role at Mar-a-Lago, and they were seen on tape moving the boxes at one point. And so, again, this is a team right now that is bracing for yet another series of indictments in yet another battle that Trump has as he is trying to win the GOP nomination.
1: Okay, interesting. Um, comms are now back up with CNN's Caitlin Plants, who's in Florida, where a grand jury in special counsel Jack Smith's investigation uh, heard from a former uh, Trump spokesman today. Caitlin, tell us about that.
9: Well, Jake, they heard from a spokesman who just wasn't working for Donald Trump in his political empire, but was one of the people uh, who was around the former president at a very crucial moment. In February of 2022, Donald Trump had sent back 15 boxes of documents to the National Archives. The archives found records with classified markings in them, kicking off this criminal investigation that we are so closely tracking right now. And at that moment, Donald Trump wanted to put out a statement saying that he had turned over everything. And there were people around him who somehow made that statement not happen uh, and that were warning him that he should be consulting with his attorney. One of those people was Taylor Butowich. Uh, This person who is a close aide to him and was his spokesperson now works for MAGA, Inc., a super PAC. Uh, And Taylor Butowich did come to the federal courthouse here today, this morning. Uh, We have learned through our reporting that he testified to the grand jury a little under an hour and he released a statement not disclosing exactly what he was asked about the extent of questioning or any indication he might have of where this investigation is right now. But he said that he fulfilled a legal obligation to testify in front of a grand jury. And I answered every question honestly. We're still waiting to see exactly what that means for the investigation and what might still be to come. Jake.
1: All right, Caitlin Palance and Kristen Holmes, thanks to both of you. Appreciate it. Joining us now to discuss uh, much, much more than just that, Republican presidential candidate and former New Jersey governor, uh, Chris Christie. It's New Jersey Day here on the on the lead. Um, so uh, let's just start with the news that was just reported. It does appear that Donald Trump is uh, likely to be, if not he's likely to be, then he's at least preparing to be indicted uh, by Special Counsel Jack Smith in this um, classified documents case. Uh, what's your reaction?
10: Well, look, I, I think that one of the biggest indications is this most recent meeting earlier in the week that his attorneys had with uh, Jack Smith and people at DOJ.
1: You're a former U.S. attorney,
10: so you know what a meeting like that would be. Yeah, I, my guess is that uh, he probably got uh, a target letter um, where at the very end of an investigation, you typically go to the target, give them an opportunity to come into the grand jury themselves. If they want to testify, they almost never agree to do that. But usually an outgrowth of that is for you know the lawyers to say, but we'd like to come in and argue to you why the case shouldn't be brought. My guess is that that's probably much of what happened on Monday. So it shows you you're at the near end, not at the absolute end, but nearly at the end of this portion of the investigation, I suspect. You've already said that Donald Trump has disqualified himself to be president again. Do you think this is
1: more fuel to the fire?
10: Well, sure. I, as I said, you know, a number of times, uh, being under indictment is not good for a political candidate. Uh, and, and the fact is that with this one, uh, we'll see what the evidence turns out to be. But some of the reporting... Um, that I've read, um, leads you to conclude that they have some very substantial evidence about his uh, state of mind. And that's always one of the difficult things when you're prosecuting one of these cases.
1: Meaning he knew what he was doing was wrong and was, and was a foul of the rules. And the well, problems.
10: he knew that he, it sounds like he, they have evidence that he knew he had classified documents um, and that he wasn't permitted to show them to people. Well, that undercuts the argument he's made that everything was declassified as soon as he walked out the door because he said so. Um, so there's some things there that are kind of interesting, and, and we'll see. Um, you know, I never like to make evaluations of this stuff, having done it for seven years, to actually see the indictment and see what they have. Um, but I, I'm certainly if you're the president, the former president, and his lawyers right now, um, you're not going to be very happy about what's developing.
1: I've had uh, Republican former Justice Department officials say to me that this is much worse than what Hillary Clinton did, and the theme of Donald Trump's convention in 2016 was lock her up. You did. You prosecuted her from the from the stage there about all the things
10: that that allegedly she did wrong. This is worse. Look, you know, the the classified documents that that uh, he had that we now know he had uh, were things that should have never left the White House. Um, And if he in fact knew that he had these documents, was looking at them, utilizing them in some way after he left office. And it looks like maybe even two years after he left office. It's a big problem.
1: So you're running for president. You just declared last night. uh, You're joining what's a a pretty crowded field, surprisingly, considering there's a former president uh, in in it as well. Um, Now, right now you're polling in the low single digits. I know you haven't even been in the race for a day. But in 2016, you ran. You placed 10th in Iowa, 6th in New Hampshire before getting out of the race. What is going to make this year
10: different? Well, the whole atmosphere is different, Jake. You know, in 2015 and 16, when we ran the first time, uh, you had a situation where Donald Trump had no record, to speak of. Um, he had been on a TV show. I had been a developer, private developer in New York. There was no way to really make the case against him. and we we've, I think all of us, myself, Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, John Kasich, Ted Cruz, all found it very difficult to make the case because he could say whatever he wanted to say. There was no proof point to prove that he couldn't do it. So I'm going to build a wall across the entire border of Mexico and is going to pay for it. Well, I didn't think he was going to be able to do that, um, physically figure out a way to do it. Um, but how can you prove that he wouldn't? This is different today. We know. He said he would build a wall across the entire border of Mexico. He didn't do it. About a quarter of the wall is built. He said Mexico would pay for it. We haven't gotten our first peso. Um, And we know a lot of other things. Said he was going to repeal and replace Obamacare. He had a Republican Congress for two years. Didn't get it done. Said he was going to balance the budget in four years. Left with the greatest deficit of any president in modern history. Said he was going to get rid of the national debt in eight years. And left it trillions higher than when he walked in the door in just four years. There is a record here, Jake on things both very, very significant on public policy, but even on the trivial. Remember, he used to go after Barack Obama for playing golf. And I remember standing on one of the debate stages one time, and he looked in the camera and said, I will not play golf a day, because I'll be so busy fixing all of America's problems. And he wound up playing golf for 260 days. So on promises both big and small, he broke them. He disappointed our party. He disappointed the country. And that's going to be the focus of this campaign.
1: I have a lot more to ask you, but we're going to have to squeeze, uh, squeeze in a quick uh, break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And we're back with Republican presidential candidate and former New Jersey Governor uh, Chris Christie. So, so yesterday, uh, Governor, when you uh, announced that you were running for president, you called Trump a former friend, mm-hmm. uh, a, quote, lonely, self-consumed, self-serving mirror hog. You've been rather unsparing in your criticism. We should note uh, that there, you might have people out there who are skeptical of this because when you dropped out in 2016, you endorsed him. Sure. You ran his transition. You helped coach him for debates. Uh, what do you say to people who say, you know, this guy has always been this way. You just enabled him, and now you're changing your mind.
10: Now, look, I, you know, back in 2016, Jake, it was clear to me he was going to be the nominee. I had a long relationship with him at that time, over 15 years, and I thought I could help to make him a better candidate and a better president if he won. Uh, and I didn't want Hillary Clinton to be president. And that's why I ran in the first place. Uh, it turned out I was wrong. I couldn't make him a better candidate, and I couldn't make him a better president. Uh, and he disappointed me, and he disappointed a lot of people in my party, and a lot of people in this country by the way he performed. And for me, the breaking point was election night 2020, when he's out there at 2.30 in the morning, claiming the election was stolen, when I knew he had no evidence to prove that. Um, and when you want to cut democracy in that way, um, you have forfeited uh, the trust, in my view, to hold that office that he's now trying to regain. And so, yeah, I did all those things, and I, and I make no apologies for them. But when I make a misjudgment, I'll admit it. And I thought I could make him better, and it wound up I couldn't. In fact, he was much worse.
1: So um, Trump, uh, last night, in response to you running, uh, ran a rather mocking uh, video on social media. Um, there it is. It's, it's you. Uh, I guess he's, he's making fun of your weight. Um, that's his, uh, that's, that's his response. What what did you make of that? What was your response to that?
10: You know, uh, when I saw Jake, I I just renewed in my own mind what a child he is. He's a baby. Um, whenever you want to criticize him, in any way, that's the way he responds. And you and I are both lucky enough to be parents. Um, and if we had a child who conducted themselves like that, um, we'd send them to their room, yeah. not to the White House. Yeah. Um, and I think character is destiny for this country, and we've got to make a decision about what the character of the person should be who sits behind the desk in the Oval Office. And if they're going to do that kind of stuff, I mean, it doesn't even—it's—it's it's, it's so childish, it's so juvenile. He is such a spoiled baby that you know I. Beyond that, what, what can you even say about something like that that's that ridiculous? You know, I uh, if we want to break news here today, um, I've struggled with my weight for about 20 years, like tens of millions of Americans. The devil, you said. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so he's breaking news there. He's, yeah. he's telling people something they don't know. Um, in the end, for me, um, it's about how you d- perform as a person. Yeah. What kind of heart you have. And I'll put mine up against his any day in the week.
1: So- on the subject of you admitting mistakes, um, you were pretty candid last night about some of those mistakes in your speech last night. Um, I don't have time to play the excerpt, but one of the you, you talked about the Bridgegate scandal, right? Uh, and trusting people you shouldn't have trusted, and also setting a do you admit setting a tone that those people thought that that would be something that you would find acceptable? Well, I, no,
10: I didn't admit that, Jake. And, I, no, and I'm I, asking if you admit. No, that. I no, I don't. I don't. I didn't set that tone. And in fact, um, anybody who knew me and watch how I conducted myself as governor, I was very straightforward, direct, blunt yeah. at times. Um, but I also did things regularly in a bipartisan basis, working with Democrats. I had a Democratic legislature, as you know, for eight years. Yeah. And so uh, you couldn't do those kind of things um, and think that that was consistent with the way I conducted myself as governor. I worked with the Senate president, the speaker. We passed significant legislation, um, got Hundreds of judges appointed to the bench. Pension reform. Pension reform. Yeah. Property tax cap. um, Things that people never thought could get done. That's not the tone. So what, what, sorry to interrupt, but but what lesson do you think you learned then? Oh, that personnel is policy. Yeah. That you have to be even more careful that there's no insignificant appointment, no insignificant hire, Mm -hmm. because that person acts in your name every day. And, you know, when they're distant from you, like these folks were, physically distant from you, um, I think there's times when you could think, well, it'll be fine, and, and, and you don't see them every day. It was a mistake. Yeah. Um, and they made a mistake in judgment, horrible mistake in judgment. They paid for it. Um, but it so hurt you did, too. So did I.
1: Yeah. 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 Let's move on, because I know there's some issues that you want to talk about. Someone's that, I've, that I'm really curious about, uh, the PGA Tour, which had been hammering the Saudi government and Live Golf for allying uh, and being funded by the Saudi government because of 9-11, its human rights record, et cetera, et cetera. You have a lot of 9-11 families sure uh, in New Jersey. Uh, PGA is now partnering
10: uh, with Live Golf. Well, what's your reaction to that? I, I, I said this to you off air. I was stunned. Yeah. When I heard the news last night, I guess, uh, after my town hall was over, I was absolutely stunned because all I've heard from the PGA is that they were morally on principle yeah. opposed to what was going on. Um, but I guess they... Saudis came up with enough money yeah. to override the morality and the principle. And the people that I feel really badly for are the golfers themselves who stood with the PGA on that principle and would not go to live golf, didn't accept nine-figure checks, um, and, and now are going to have to play with those same players again, with those players saying, hey, we're back with you, and we've got the nine-figure checks. Right. I mean, I think the PGA is going to have an enormous morale problem on that tour just for openers. And it's gonna be interesting to see how they all try to manage it.
1: So um, Russian dictator Vladimir Putin has launched this vicious uh, invasion of Ukraine, killing lots of civilians. Um, As you know, two of your opponents uh, uh, have given some interesting signals on this. Donald Trump refused to say in the town hall with Caitlin Collins which side he wanted to win, Ukraine or Russia, refuses to call uh, Vladimir Putin a a war criminal, even though he has been indicted by The Hague. Uh, Ron DeSantis calls it a territorial dispute
10: Are they wrong? What's your position? They're wrong. They're wrong. This is a proxy war with China. It's what it is. China is buying Russian oil like no one else in the world is doing. They're funding the murder of Ukrainians by the Russian army. Um, President Xi goes to Russia, stands with Putin and says there is no limits to the Chinese friendship with the Russians. Um, If you don't understand that this is a much bigger deal than just Ukrainian territory— It is a much bigger deal. Our friends around the world are going to see, do we stick? Do we stand with our friends? And do we give them the tools they need to protect themselves from authoritarian aggression? And I don't know what what President Trump uh, is thinking about this, um, except that he's been a puppet of Putin um, from the time he was president. And it always was disturbing to me. We would argue regularly about Vladimir Putin during the time that he was president. And, And I think it's very clear what we need to do. We need to give the Ukrainians every piece of military hardware they need to protect themselves against this aggression. And we need to continue to do it until they are ready to resolve the conflict with Russia. So I have so many more questions,
1: but uh, we're out of time. but But I will say, as you know... I've wanted you to come and answer questions for a long, long time, but you had a contract with ABC News. Yes. You no
10: longer do. I don't, I do not. So come back soon, will you? I will come back absolutely, Jake.
1: All right. Uh, best of Mary, Pat. Really Thank you. Really appreciate it. Best of luck out there on the campaign trail. Thank you, Jake. Coming up, uh, Chris Christie, we should note, is also going to participate in the CNN Republican Town Hall next Monday, live from New York. And Anderson Cooper will be the moderator of that one. That's coming up Monday night at 8 Eastern. Only here on CNN. We're getting all these town halls. It's great. Coming up, it's a title New York never wanted to capture, making the worst air quality in the world today. We're going to bring you the stunning pictures and the health warnings. Stay with us. We are back with our health lead in a live look at One World Trade Center in New York. The sky so smoky. It's almost the same color as the gray buildings. Let's go to CNN's Miguel Marquez. In Times Square for us, Miguel, what is it like on the ground in New York? And how are people around you reacting to this sky?
11: It has gotten better in the last hour or so. There's a wind that's blown in and it's starting to blow some of that smoke out. That said, health authorities still say that air quality is at the worst possible uh, level right now. And if you don't have to be outside... You shouldn't be outside, but this being New York, this being Times Square, people are outside. The world famous—we're right below the world famous ball that comes down on, on uh, New Year's Eve at a theater here on on Broadway, uh, just one street south of where we are. There was an actor today that during the matinee she had trouble breathing and had to cancel the show in the middle of the show. <coughs> and I will say, as I cough, um, breathing this air in all day it does have an effect. You can feel that scratch in your throat and you, you feel sort of the dryness. You know, I've been in Los Angeles and San Francisco and other cities that get inundated by smoke like this. Uh, the difference here is we're hundreds of miles away from where these fires are burning up in Canada, in, in LA or in other cities. You're sometimes 10, 20, 30 miles away and it's understandable that you have so much smoke there. You can smell that campfire smell in New York from fires burning hundreds of miles away. In Canada, it gives you a sense of just how big these fires are and how concerning they are. I mean, if you look at the crowds here, some people are wearing masks. They they, they do say health authorities saying if you're going to be outside, wear an N95 or KN95. A lot of people are taking pictures as they do in Times Square, but not of the buildings or not of the of the of the lights, but of the sky itself because it just looks so bizarre. Somewhat less bizarre now than it did earlier, but. If you are a fan of the movie Blade Runner, you're going to love New York today. Jake?
1: Well, that's the thing. It seems really dystopian. Blade Runner is not exactly uh, a preview of a a wonderful future. Uh, What are you hearing from people around you, whether New Yorkers or tourists?
11: Look, it's it's, it's a tough bunch. Uh, I mean... Some some folks are wearing masks. People have a lot of masks around because of the uh, pandemic. A lot of people are wearing those paper masks. Uh, it does help them a little bit, they say. But it's really the KN95s that are better uh, for the particulate particulates that we have in the air right now. Most people are tourists here. They're they're new in New York or they're New Yorkers that have been through a, a lot. So they're not particularly concerned about the the weather. They're just they're happy to be here to see this bizarre phenomenon happening in New York City today.
1: Jake? All right, Miguel Marquez in Times Square. Thanks so much. Coming up, he was once Donald Trump's loyal number two. Now Mike Pence is making a historic bid to try to take down his old boss and win the nomination himself. What Pence had to say as he jumps into the race for the White House. That's next. Former Vice President Mike Pence has officially thrown his hat into the ring, making himself a candidate for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. As CNN's Kyung La reports for us from Des Moines, Iowa, Pence's entrance into the race sets up a clash between the former VP and his former boss, Donald Trump.
12: Mike Pence on his own. I'm running for president of the United States of America. Yeah!
13: The former vice president taking Donald Trump head on.
12: I believe that anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. And anyone who asks someone else to put them over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again.
13: It's a message resonating with Iowa Republicans tired of the Trump drama.
11: Many
12: that I've spoken to
11: don't need the distractions that came with other candidates that they're looking forward to uh, finding solutions.
13: It's here in Iowa that the Pence campaign begins their persuasion campaign, selling a familiar brand of the Republican Party to an electorate reshaped by the former president. I feel that
11: like there's only one man that's willing to stand up for all of us, and that's Donald Trump. So not that, that Mike Pence, if he were to get elected, could do a good job. I just don't think he'd do as good a job as Donald Trump.
13: In his kickoff speech, Pence touted the successes of the Trump administration, but suggested the former president has moved away from conservative principles.
12: When Donald Trump ran for president, In 2016, he promised to govern as a conservative. Together, we did just that. But today, he makes no such promise.
13: Pence called out the former president's stances on entitlement programs, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and abortion policy.
12: Sanctity of life has been our party's calling for a half a century, long before Donald Trump was a part of it. Now he treats it as an inconvenience, even blaming our election losses in 2022 on overturning Roe v. Wade.
13: It will be a tightrope for Trump's former VP to walk, once loyal lieutenant in his administration.
12: I'm deeply humbled as your vice president.
13: A political tie broken on January 6th over election lies.
12: President Trump was wrong then. And he's wrong now. And
13: just underscoring the difficult course that lies ahead for Mike Pence shortly after he did that entire rally where he essentially called Donald Trump unfit to serve as president, unfit for office. He was then asked on Fox News if he would sign the RNC pledge that requires that you support the nominee, the Republican nominee, Jake. And Pence said he would. Jake. Hmm. Kind of
1: just kind of a little disconnect there. Kyung La in Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks so much. The images are stunning. A summer haze not seen in decades. We're going to go back to New York where smoky skies are making the iconic skyline unrecognizable. That's next. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. This hour, new health concerns for the Pope after a surgery today that was not pre-planned. What the Vatican is saying about his condition. Plus... The new grand jury investigating Donald Trump, this one in Florida. What CNN is learning about testimony today from a former spokesman for Trump and what that might indicate about a possible end to the special counsel's investigation. And leading this hour, much of the east coast of the United States blanketed by smoke drifting down from wildfires burning in Canada. Coincidentally, today happens to be Clean Air Day in Canada. For a second straight day, New York City is experiencing. Some of the worst air quality in the world, and those living in other major metropolitan areas, including Philly, D.C., even down to the Carolinas, are also living with unhealthy, even in some cases, hazardous conditions. Let's go straight to CNN's Bill Weir, who's in Brooklyn. Bill, how bad is
7: the air where you are right now? You coming to me, Jake? Sorry about that. We missed your cue, if you are. But we're in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, uh, right now. And we've been watching the sky change in the most sort of eerie, apocalyptic ways since midday. We saw the sky turn from like a dirty yellow to this ominous orange at one point. It got so dark that the streetlights came on in Central Park automatically. Uh, There are ground stops at LaGuardia. We just received word it looks like they're going to cancel the Yankees game and the Phillies game tonight, as well as the New York Liberty as a result of this smoke right here. But this is the worst air quality Since they've been taking taking readings, I think for the last 30 years or so, uh, anything above 300 on the air quality index is considered dangerous for everyone, regardless of your health, regardless of your age. Officially, we've topped over 320 today. I saw some readings on some air quality weather maps that were north of 400. Unofficial, but astounding when you think about what that means in terms of where this puts New York on the world's most polluted cities. We're up there with New Delhi. Uh, Right now, in terms of air quality, this is a city with four times as many people and much less stringent air quality standards and, and regulations as well. And it's all a matter of those wildfires up north. Right now, so far, this part in June, 15 times the average land in Canada has burned. And the height of the wildfire season up north really doesn't get kicked off until July or August. So who knows if this is gonna be a long-term trend. We're hoping for some rain tonight, but in talking to doctors and and folks from the American Lung Association, they're very concerned about folks uh, staying inside, not being active in this. The more you are working your lungs and and sort of uh, inhaling those PM 2.5 particulate matters deep into your body, the worse it can be for folks, especially those maybe who survived COVID And we're damaged by that and now have to worry about this exacerbating those injuries as well. Uh, But this is the latest from here. I'll send it back to you, Jake. All right, Bill, we are in Brooklyn. Thank you so much.
1: Let's go to West New York, New Jersey. That's the name of the city, West New York. That's where CNN's Maria Santana is. Maria, uh, tell us what the air is like where you are.
14: Yeah, but it has been very, very bad throughout the day. Things have improved in the last hour or so. But like a Governor Murphy, Phil Murphy of New Jersey, said in your show earlier, it gets really bad depending on where you are. And I want to show you what it looks like right now in West New York, New Jersey, New Jersey. And we are really west of New York. That is Midtown Manhattan across the Hudson River right now. You can kind of make out the buildings at this point earlier today. You couldn't see anything. It was so dense and so thick with smoke that it was completely white. It also got very dark hours earlier to the point where the streetlights, as Bill Weir said, turned on here and the authorities in New Jersey are recommending that people stay indoors, that they limit their outdoor activities. And here in this part of New Jersey, people seem to be heeding that advice. This is a very populous area, a very popular area because of the spectacular river views. And on a normal spring day, you would see people here walking around, taking pictures, hanging out at the parks and the plazas. But today it has been eerily empty here. No one uh, really around. Most people are coming by just to take pictures of what it looks like, because it does look like a very uh, eerie movie scene. That's what it's been looking like throughout the day. People who have been working outdoors. We have seen construction workers leave the area because it has gotten so bad. It is very difficult to breathe. I myself have felt uh, the scratchy throat, the dryness uh, in, in my throat. And like the authorities said, the best thing that you can do at this point is where a very high quality mask if you do have to be outside,
13: Jake.
1: All right, Maria Santana in the town of West New York in New Jersey. Thank you so much. We're tracking this dangerous smoke that's causing flight delays. It's canceling outdoor activities. It's sending people indoors. Meteorologist Jennifer Gray joins us now from CNN's Weather Center. Jennifer, where is the smoke heaviest right now?
5: Well, really, the New York area is where it's at its worst. You can see visibility is at one and a half miles. We've seen it down to less than a mile at some points during the afternoon. You can see Syracuse under a mile, State College. So really, this area um, right here is where we're seeing the worst of it and the thickest smoke. However, it all depends on the wind direction. So by tonight, I think some of the smoke is going to shift a little bit farther to the west and a little bit farther to the south. So when it clears up for one area, it's going to be bad for another. This is a time lapse progressively throughout the day. And you can just see it worsen uh, with the hours that have gone by. And that's what we've seen. And that's what the reporters are saying. And New York City now tops that map of the major, uh, the worst city in the world for air quality. And it's been on this top 10 list for the last couple of days, but for the last few hours has been sitting right at number one. You can see those red and purple dots. That's where the worst air quality is across that I-95 corridor up in upstate New York, even back in the Ohio Valley. And that's where the, the worst uh, quality air is going to move over the course of the next few days. So for New York City, it is going to remain bad. Washington, D.C., it's going to stay really nasty as far as tomorrow goes. And then it looks like by Friday, the more of this will shift a little bit farther to the west, Jake. But it's going to stick around, I believe, for the long term.
1: All right, Jennifer Gray in the CNN Weather Center, thanks so much. With me now is Dan Westervelt, he's an assistant research professor at Columbia University and an air pollution advisor to the U.S. State Department. Dan, thanks for joining us. It's, it's staggering what we're seeing today across the Northeast. Put, put this in context for us. How bad is the air pollution right now in New York City uh, and other parts
15: of the eastern U.S.? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jake. It's really hard almost to find words to describe what we're seeing with these levels of particulate matter. Uh, these levels are at least 10 times higher than what health guidelines mark as the healthy levels for exposure for for particulate matter. Uh, so we're really seeing just unprecedented amounts of pollution in the New York area and in the Mid-Atlantic in general.
1: And this is the worst it's ever been, I believe, in Canada when it comes to wildfires, at least in in, in modern history, how much of this can be attributed, uh, if at all quantifiable, to to climate change and, and more specifically uh, the impact of man-made activities on climate change?
15: Yeah, well, it's rather difficult right now to attribute individual events uh, to climate change. That research is probably ongoing as we are speaking right now, and I'm sure people are working on that. What we do know is that Hotter temperatures, drier conditions, worsening droughts, less precipitation, all of those things which are symptoms of climate change are happening, and those things do worsen wildfires.
1: How can people protect themselves when they, let's say, have to go outside, they have to get medicine, they have to pick up their kids at school, et cetera? What what should they do?
15: The biggest thing that we can do right now if we're outside is wear a well-fitting, Mask. Uh, Talking about the N95s, the KN95s, the ones that we sort of got used to during the pandemic. So we need the high-quality, high-filtering masks, and they need to be well-fitting. And that's the best thing you can do if you need to go outside.
1: All right, Dan Westervelt from Columbia University. Thank you so much. Appreciate uh, your time and expertise. We're going to turn now to our law and justice lead because a grand jury in Florida today heard more testimony in the investigations by Special Counsel Jack Smith into Donald Trump. CNN's Paula Reed is joining us, a, a former Trump spokesman who now runs a super PAC supporting the former president, testified today. Paula, uh, what would that cover, this former Trump spokesman?
16: So Taylor Butowicz, he was a spokesman for former President Trump, and now he's a top advisor at a super PAC supporting uh, Trump's presidential run. It was interesting to see him come now in this final phase of the investigation. As it's expected, what they would be most interested in are statements that he helped to draft, particularly one statement that was drafted after that initial batch of boxes. Those 15 boxes went to the National Archives early, um, early in 2022. We're told that following the boxes being handed over, the former president wanted to issue a statement that said he had handed over all presidential records. They ended up not doing that. So I'm sure investigators would have had a lot of questions for him about why exactly that statement didn't go forward. What were the reservations? Why wasn't it published?
1: In addition to Jack Smith's investigation into the classified documents, there's also Jack Smith's investigation into Donald Trump's attempt to overturn the election and specifically the events of January 6th. You have some new reporting that former uh, Trump White House Communications Director Alyssa Farrah Griffin, who's also a CNN political commentator, has been interviewed by prosecutors?
16: That's right. Our colleague Zach Cohen and I broke this story today. This was described to us as a voluntary interview. She didn't go before the grand jury, but she sat down with investigators to talk about the events in and around January 6th. Now, she was, of course, a top advisor in the Trump White House. She was actually brought in by the White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows. We know she testified in the House investigation. So again, it was a little surprising that she's coming in so late in the game. We learned that investigators really wanted to talk to her about Trump's state of mind and the extent to which he truly believed Uh, the lies that he was spreading about the election, whether he truly believed some of the things that he was trying to push around the time of January 6th. So it's interesting that at this late phase of the investigation, that they're focused on still that question about to what extent did the former president believe what he was saying?
1: We've also learned more about uh, former Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who you just mentioned as having brought uh, Alyssa Farron to the White House, about his testimony to a grand jury. What do we know about that?
16: It's so important because he's not just a witness, he is the witness, right, Right. for special counsel Jack Smith. And we know he could be of value in either the January 6th probe or the Mar-a-Lago documents investigation We know that he was asked about both probes, but what's not clear, Jake, is how much he actually answered, how much he provided. But this has been one of the biggest mysteries swirling in the special counsel investigation. Even former President Trump's team has been in the dark. What exactly was going on with Mark Meadows? But now that we know he has testified, that was really one of the last outstanding questions. This is clearly uh, in its final phase, and it's possible that they could make a charging decision soon.
1: All right, Paula Reed, thanks so much. Uh, Really appreciate it. With us now. Tom Dupree. He served in the George W. Bush administration's Justice Department as a principal deputy assistant attorney general. Tom, good to see you. So, uh, Taylor Butterworth, a a former Trump spokesman who now runs a pro-Trump super PAC. He testified before the Miami grand jury today. Uh, What might prosecutors be looking for?
17: I think what they're looking for there, Jake, is apparently a conversation Trump had with him where he basically uh, suggested perhaps that he issue a public statement saying all the documents have been returned. Taylor refused to issue the statement. And so potentially the special prosecutor is looking at this as evidence that Trump was instructing his people to falsely represent that he had returned all the documents that the Justice Department was looking for. I suspect that's what they're focused on today.
1: So a source tells us that Mark Meadows, uh, Trump's former White House chief of staff, who has testified uh, to a federal grand jury as part of the special counsel Jack Smith's investigation into both January 6th and the classified documents, uh, that he was asked uh, about both topics, about the handling of classified documents, about the the, uh, efforts to overturn the 2020 election. How significant is this and does it mean anything if Meadows just pleaded the fifth?
17: Well, if he pled the fifth, obviously that's going to give the special counsel very limited evidentiary value. My guess is he didn't plead the fifth. Meadows at least said publicly that he cooperated, he testified, that sort of thing. How forthcoming he was remains to be seen. But look, there's no question Meadows is a key player in all of this. He was central to the events leading up to January 6th. We're now learning that he may well have been central to the whole Mar-a-Lago documents investigation. There's no question Mark Meadows has a lot to say, but we still don't know whether he actually said it to the grand jury.
1: The government's been presenting evidence in both probes to grand juries in Washington, D.C., and also in Miami. Uh, how much longer is this going to go before there is a decision on charges based on, A, uh, the the meeting of the Trump team with uh, Justice Department officials? You heard, I'm not sure if you heard it, but Chris Christie, uh, former U.S. attorney, former New Jersey governor, uh, current presidential candidate, he said that he guesses uh, that that is because uh, the Justice Department sent a uh, target for indictment
17: letter to him. Based on everything you're hearing, what do you think in terms of timeline? You know, when I heard about the meeting at DOJ, my first thought was an indictment is imminent because look, former Governor Christie is right. Typically a meeting at DOJ is one of the last steps before an indictment drops. However, the news today that the special counsel is still eliciting testimony before witnesses, before a grand jury in Florida is intriguing. And one thing it may say is that, look, this investigation may not be quite as close to finished as we thought it was. If he's still getting witness testimony, it also appears now, somewhat surprisingly, that an indictment, if and when it drops may come in Florida rather than in D.C., which a lot of us had been anticipating up to this point.
1: CNN previously reported that U.S. Secret Service agents assigned to protect Donald Trump have been called in to testify in the classified documents. Probe another source familiar with the matter tells CNN that every member of the Trump detail, more than 20 agents have testified. Um, That's surprising to me. Uh, I, I don't I I wouldn't think that you would have anything like uh, doctor-patient confidentiality, but I would think that U.S. Secret Service agents are generally supposed to keep their mouths shut.
17: Well, you know, in in some respects, yes. Uh, But when it comes to grand jury testimony, no. You may recall back in the Clinton era, there was a lot of discussion and legal debate about whether there was a Secret Service protective agent privilege. The courts basically said no. Secret Service agents can be called upon to give grand jury testimony. I think from the special counsel's perspective here, these are a lot of witnesses. As you note, it's, a, it's close to two dozen people who have testified before the grand jury. These are agents who were presumably on the ground, close at hand at Mar-a-Lago, and ha- are firsthand eyewitnesses to what was going on behind the scenes during the days when the administer, the Trump team was negotiating with the Justice Department. They may have a lot to contribute about what they saw and what they heard during those critical months.
1: Hmm. all right tom dupree thanks so much appreciate it as former vice president mike pence makes his historic bid for the white house i'm going to talk to two men who know him pretty well one led his fundraising push another ran against him for governor of indiana plus pope francis has a surprise surgery it lasted hours what might that say about the health of the pontiff stay with us Topping our 2024 lead, you are here at the election music there. Very exciting. You're looking at live pictures from Grandview University in Des Moines, where in just a few hours, former Vice President Mike Pence is going to join CNN for a live town hall with Iowa voters, moderated by our own Dana Bash. Earlier today, Trump's former Vice President officially announced his bid for the White House. Take a listen.
12: January 6th was a tragic day. On that fateful day, President Trump's words were reckless endangered my family, that on that day, President Trump also demanded that I choose between him and the Constitution. Now voters will be faced with the same choice. I chose the Constitution, and I always will. Strong stuff.
1: Pence is now the very first vice president to run against his former running mate in more than 80 years. Let's bring in two people who know Pence pretty well. John Gregg, the Democrat who nearly lost to Pence in Indiana's 2012 governor's race. And Jeb Henselring, former Republican congressman from Texas and co-chair of a pro-Pence super PAC. Um, Congressman, let me start with you. The latest CNN poll shows Pence way behind Trump and DeSantis. He's only in single digits among Republican voters right now. And it's early. It's early. He just announced a few hours ago. But how does Pence unite this party fractured by his former boss?
18: Well, as you point out, Jake, it is early and the last three winners of the Iowa caucus were polling in about single digits now. So the vice president has very high name identification, but a lot of Republicans simply don't know him beyond his role as vice president. I served alongside him in the House of Representatives, and I think he will obviously make the case. And in your soundbite, the lead in from earlier today, there's a huge contrast constitutional conservative those those are revered words in the Republican Party and what a contrast We have the vice president he put his life on the line to protect and defend the Constitution and another candidate sat on his duff and watched the Capitol be attacked for the first time since the war of 1812. So mm. he will take mm. that he will take that to the Republican primary voter and he has a record not just rhetoric. As a constitutional conservative, as a defense conservative, knowing that we must fight against what Russia is trying to do and China, a life conservative. He doesn't Mm -hmm. go when the going gets tough. An economic conservative. He understands if you don't reform entitlement spending, you bankrupt future generations. so a man of record, a man of conviction, a man of courage. We're at the start of this, Jake. And I think the vice president, very exciting day. And he gave a very inspiring speech today. And I'm just happy to be able to support it.
1: John, obviously you're a Democrat. Obviously you ran against Pence. You disagree with him on many issues. Um, What do you think of his chances? What do you think of him as a candidate?
19: You know, uh, I'm going to call him Mike, not out of disrespect, but we went to law school. Uh, He actually hired me to take over his Saturday radio show and uh, I've known him for 40 years. Uh, people underestimate uh, Mike Pence. Uh, Democrats underestimate him. You can't underestimate him. He's disciplined. He's focused. Uh, my differences with Mike are political, not personal. Um, I don't have to say anything unkind about Mike because President Trump will do all of that for the Democrat Party. <laughs>
1: um, Congressman, uh I mean, he, obviously, he will. Uh, we, don't,
19: I, we don't have to say anything. But because we don't have to talk about his record in Indiana. We don't have to talk about how unpopular he was or anything about what he did in Indiana as governor because the former president's gonna do that.
1: (laughs) Right, I take your point. Congressman, let me ask you. um, I mean, there are a lot of Republicans who thought after January 6th, that was gonna be it for Donald Trump uh, because of the insurrection, because of the mob that he incited, because of the chance of hang Mike Pence. That obviously isn't the case right now. Uh, A lot of Republicans, according to polls, are still allegiant
18: to Donald Trump. Um, Why is that, do you think? Well, again, Jake, I would say that a lot of the other candidates, although they may have name identification, their stories aren't well known. And with respect to President Trump, let's face it, 100% of the Republicans who are going to cast a vote in these primaries and caucuses, they voted for President Trump twice. You know, the question people ought to be asking is, well, why is it that over 50% of the Republicans then and most polls aren't going to support him a third time? And if those who do support, a big chunk of those are saying, you know, we're open to something else. So it is January 6th, but it's also that President Trump told us at one point we would be tired of winning well a lot of republicans now are tired of losing and but so now he's he's cost us the election in 2018 2020 2022 and a number of republicans are saying you know what there are a lot of policies i liked but i don't think he can get reelected and i'm starting to question is this the old trump i mean he won't all he won't fight for a balanced budget. He won't fight for life. All of a sudden, he's becoming an apologist for Putin and doesn't understand that degrading the greatest ally to our opponent, China, is in America's interest. So again, we're at the first part of the campaign. I think as this message gets out, more people uh, focus, I think you're going to see even more erosion of President Trump's position.
1: John, in today's announcement video, um, Pence refers to, quote, runaway inflation and southern border, quote, under siege. Um, Obviously, these are issues that Democrats would dispute. Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, said the U.S. economy is strong. She expects inflation to ease. The Department of Homeland Security says daily border encounters are actually down since the end of that pandemic-era health rule known as Title uh, 42. Um, Will these issues, however, help Pence rally Republicans, do you think?
19: You know, uh, with all respect to the vice president, all he will really do is deal with social issues. Um, I traveled all around the state of Indiana. That's why we're only lost by two points, saying, look at his record. He passed nothing when he was in Congress, and all he ever introduced was legislation on social issues. I don't think Governor Pence will deal with economic issues. I don't think Governor Pence will deal with international relations. Everything he has always focused on in the past has been on social issues, and I have no reason to think he'll do anything different. That's all he did in Congress. That's all he did as governor, and that was all he championed when he was vice president. So I don't see any of those sayings coming.
1: All right, John Gregg and former Congressman Jeb Hanserling, thank you so much to both of you. Appreciate it. Tonight, Mike Pence is going to take questions from voters in Iowa in a CNN Republican presidential town hall at Grandview University. My colleague Dana Bash will be the moderator. That's tonight, not tonight at 9 Eastern, right here on CNN. Coming up, Pope Francis in the hospital after an unexpected surgery. The new questions about the Pope's condition and what the Vatican is telling CNN about the pontiff self. In our faith lead today, today Pope Francis underwent an unannounced and unexplained abdominal surgery that lasted three hours in Rome, we're told. And it's raising some serious questions about the Pope's health. The Vatican says there were no complications, but all of the 86-year-old's events have been canceled until June 18th. CNN's Jim Bitterman has more now on the
20: Pope's latest health concern. A day after Pope Francis made a surprise trip to the Gemelli Hospital in Rome, he was back in, this time for surgery, and the man who performed the operation said it all went well.
11: The surgical operation and the general anesthesia were were well-torried by the Pope. Now he's awakened, he's uh, fine,
20: and he's uh, already at work. (laughs) It's the second time this year the 86-year-old pontiff has worried the faithful after spending four days in the hospital in March for bronchitis. And it's the second time he's had abdominal surgery in two years. This time the Vatican says he was placed under general anesthesia so doctors could repair a hernia the Vatican said was causing recurrent painful and worsening symptoms. Medical sources say it's probably related to the surgery that the Pope had to remove half his colon in 2021. pontiff has been dogged with health issues for years. He often uses a cane or a wheelchair due to the pain in his right knee. He also suffers from chronic sciatica, which has caused him to cancel engagements. As the surgery went on, the faithful and even non catholics showed concern. Well, I'm not Catholic, but he's an important person, and he does a lot of good, and I hope he does well and that uh, he recovers quickly. But the recovery period could be long. The Vatican has preventatively canceled the Pope's audiences and events until June 18th. Even so, afterwards, he'll need to be fully recovered because he has big summer plans. First to Portugal in August for World Youth Day, where he'll spend a grueling four days meeting with young Catholics from all over the world and visiting the Shrine of Fatima. And then to Mongolia at the end of August. So for now, Jake, Jake, uh, the Pope is resting and trying to recover at the Gemelli Hospital not far from the Vatican, a hospital he's gotten to know well given the various health problems he's had over recent years. Jake?
1: All right, Jim Bitterman in Rome. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, sir. Let's get right to CNN's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, uh, a three-hour surgery with general anesthesia for an 86-year-old with a long history of health issues. That sounds Mm. rather risky. It must have been a very necessary surgery.
21: Yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, he's 86. He does have other health issues. The biggest risk of something like this is probably the anesthesia, to to be quite honest. Um, But he doesn't seem to have a history of cardiovascular problems. So that does decrease his risk overall. The, The way to think about this in terms of the urgency or necessity of the operation, to your question, Jake, he had this operation back in 2021. That was an incision in his abdomen. Uh, at some point, at some time, those those incisions, when they're closed, that closure can start to open up a bit, as you can see in the diagram there. Some people may just develop a pooching sort of of their abdomen, um, but some cases you can actually get a loop of uh, intestine that's, that's stuck in there, and that's what causes the pain. Uh, if there's enough pain, and it's usually just the symptoms, that's when an operation becomes necessary. So not emergent by any means, but increasingly necessary because of this pain. Since he's gotten through the anesthesia, because we know he's awake, he's even joking around, according to Jim Bitterman, um, that's obviously a good sign uh, in terms of his overall, uh, you know, uh, recovery from this, Jake.
1: And Sanjay, um, we're told by the Vatican he's going to be hospitalized for several days. What does his discovery look like? I'm sorry, his
21: recovery look like? You know, these these types of operations, usually you can go home pretty quickly, but it is a incision on your abdomen. And so it can be painful. I mean, just even coughing and sneezing, things like that can be painful. So, you know, he may need pain medications for a period of time. I think that's probably why they have canceled uh, some of his more public meetings and things like that. So it's, it, the recovery progresses, you're up walking around, you're taking care of yourself. It's just the management of that pain from an operation like this, especially in the first couple of weeks, that can sometimes be the most challenging.
1: Turning to our other top health story today, Sanjay, the worsening air quality in the Northeast affecting 75 million Americans. What's your advice to those living in New York, Philadelphia, D.C., and any area where the air is is thick with Canadian smoke?
21: Well, you you almost have to think about this like like a weather thing, you know? If it's really bad weather outside, just stay inside. And so that's gonna be the best advice as much as possible, staying inside and not breathing this in, if you think about this like a weather forecast, there are ways to check the weather here. There's a website called airnow.gov. Go in there, put in your zip code. People should do this. They should do this on a regular basis. And it'll give you an idea of what the air quality is in your zip code. And that can give you a pretty clear indication of whether or not it's safe to go outside. For people who have asthma, and I know that's in your family as well, Jake, consider using a rescue inhaler 15 minutes before you're going to go out. You just sort of expand those airways so these particles that are in the air become less problematic. As a general rule, if you can see smoke, if you can smell it, it's there. Uh, and those are particles. And those tiny particles, Jake, they can get into your lungs. We know that. They can cause irritation. But I think what people don't always realize is that they're small enough, they can also get into your bloodstream. They can cause clotting problems, which is why people who have underlying heart disease, vascular disease, are most at risk. So hopefully it clears as, as quickly as possible. But for the time being, you got to treat it like a bad weather event.
1: All right, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thanks so much. More than 40,000 Ukrainians now grappling with floods in the midst of the war. CNN rides along with recovery workers and takes us there next. Just into our politics lead, the House of Representatives will not not be voting tonight as the standoff between some members of the House Freedom Caucus and Republican House leadership continues. CNN's Manu Raju is live for us on Capitol Hill. Manu, tell us what's going on. House leaders are meeting with the holdouts behind closed doors. Yeah, what's going on? What are they voting on or not voting on? What are the issues here?
22: Yeah, Jake, this is a second straight day that the House has essentially been in a state of paralysis as a result of a standoff between conservatives in the House Freedom Caucus and the Republican leaders, stemming in part from the debt ceiling deal that Speaker McCarthy cut with President Biden to suspend the national debt limit until January 2025. Some believed that this deal essentially undercut a separate agreement, one that Speaker McCarthy reached with these same holdouts in order to become Speaker of the House in January. But there are some other issues at play, too. There's some frustration among some of these conservative holdouts that the the leadership team did not move forward with a bill that would loosen gun regulations, a bill that was pushed by Congressman Andrew Clyde, Steve Scalise, and Mr. Clyde have been in a back and forth about that issue. And there are some other unrelated issues all tied up as part of this. Now, Jake, they have the power to essentially scuttle legislation if they block a procedural vote called a rule in the House. That's the first step in the legislative process if they withhold the support. Really, if more than four Republicans vote against it, because all Democrats typically vote against a rule, that's enough to essentially stall legislation on the floor. And they did just that yesterday on some Republican messaging bills—one to ban the prohibition of stove, uh, of uh, of prohibition of banning stove ovens, something that the Republicans generally agree with—but they wanted to protest. Here, twelve members voted against that, Jake, and as a result, there have been all these negotiations behind the scenes. The Speaker trying to cut a deal with these holdouts, trying to figure out a way to get. Them back in the fold to allow the legislative process to go forward. They're not there yet. As a speaker, right now, meeting with these holdouts, uncertain what he'll give them or whether the House can act at all amid the standoff.
1: Yeah, gas stoves, uh, I think, is what you're driving yeah. at there. Monterey mm-hmm. on Capitol Hill, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Turning to our world lead, Ukraine's prosecutor generals investigating the destruction of a critical dam in eastern Ukraine as a possible war crime. Ukraine says more than 40,000 people have been affected by the flooding. CNN's Fred Pleitkin wrote along with a rescue crew today. Here's what Fred saw.
23: Raging, Raging. flood water with whole towns submerged. This Ukrainian military drone video purports to show a family trapped in a Russian-controlled village pleading for help. But all the small drone can do is drop a bottle of water. We went on a rescue mission in Kherson, where the water levels are still rising. So these guys tell us that they've been at work here since last night. They said the work during the night was extremely difficult and that they're really tired, but of course they have to keep going. They found this house abandoned, but rescued three kittens. Roman Skandrakov tells me the volunteers face Russian shelling on nearly every sortie. Of course, it's extremely dangerous, he says, especially today, it's very loud. Russia and Ukraine continue to blame each other for the destruction of the Novakorkovka dam and hydroelectric power plant. The Ukrainians say on their side alone, hundreds of thousands are without normal access to water and nearly 2,000 homes are underwater. While the rescue efforts are hampered by the near-constant artillery and mortar barrages.
12: We're working, you
23: Look, we're working despite the possibility of us being shelled. We're taking risks every day, Ukraine's interior minister tells me. We understand that this is war, and it is very difficult to completely avoid a drone or incoming missile. And that dangerous work is far from over. The authorities here say they expect they'll be busy all night getting more people to safety. And Jake, some pretty strong words coming from the Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky tonight. He accused the Russians of not doing anything to help the people who are still stranded in the flood zone on the Russian side. And he calls on the international community to step in. Jake.
1: All right, Sam. Uh, I'm sorry. Fred Pleikin in Ukraine. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. The PGA Tour has teed off its own players and fans. The rough reaction to getting into bed with Saudi Arabia's regime as the U.S. Secretary of State meets with the kingdom's controversial Crown Prince and Prime Minister. That's next. In our world, lead the PGA Tour is shocking and contradictory and hypocritical alliance with Saudi-backed Live Golf has left a foul taste in a lot of people's mouths, not even the brutal brutal killing of a Washington Post journalist and U.S. resident Jamal Khashoggi stopped them for doing so, or allegations of the Saudi government's complicity in the 9-11 terrorist attacks, or all the human rights abuses committed by the Saudi regime. None of that could sway those at PGA who seem all too willing to cash in on what is expected to be, of course, massive sums of petrodollars. But, As CNN's Nick Robertson reports, this latest so-called sports washing by Saudi Arabia is just one way the country is trying to rebrand itself.
24: Whether it's gobbling up golf rights or signing yet another global soccer star or setting oil price trends, Saudi cutting production by one million barrels a day, or in diplomacy, Secretary of State Antony Blinken's three-day visit, many, many roads now seem to lead to Riyadh US relations with the desert kingdom have been rocky President Biden making democracy and human rights a core issue but increasingly Saudi's crown prince Mohammed bin Salman setting his own agenda Blinken hoping to thaw US-Saudi tensions and build on recent cooperation helping both Yemen and Sudan end internal conflicts ahead of his arrival Blinken putting Israel on his agenda too.
6: The United States has a real national security interest in promoting normalisation between Israel and Saudi Arabia.
24: Blinken's days-long visit, meeting not just Saudi officials, but regional and other diplomats too, discussing ISIS in Africa and Asia, and likely Iran's nuclear enrichment programme, as well as Russia's war in Ukraine. All point the Saudi's growing influence. Monday, the crown prince hosted Venezuela's president. Tuesday, Iran reopened its diplomatic mission in Riyadh, thanks in part to bin Salman's strengthening ties with China. Last month, he hosted Ukraine's president, Zelensky. Whether diplomacy or sport, MBS is thinking big, eye-poppingly big. Listen to the Saudi private investment fund governor, who bankrolled Saudi's Live Golf Tour, explain Saudi's growing influence in the world of golf.
21: The uh, size of well, golf, monetary-wise, is about 100 billion uh, today. And I think the, the growth is, uh, is there
24: From Formula One to boxing to music festivals, MBS is reimagining his kingdom, offering his population entertainment unimaginable a decade ago when religious conservatives he banished held sway. At home, his rebranding of Saudi Arabia has gained traction, albeit detractors risk jail if they speak out. Significantly, however, he has yet to persuade the world he can be trusted. Nick Robertson, CNN, London.
1: And our thanks to Nick Robertson for that report. The Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer's next. Wolf, what do you got coming up?
10: Jake, uh, we, we're going to have complete coverage, full coverage of the air quality crisis impacting tens of millions of Americans right now. Smoke from more than 400 Canadian wildfires blanketing major U.S. cities tonight, leading to some of the most dangerous air many of these places have seen in decades. We're standing by for a live update from the mayor of hard-hit New York City, Eric Adams. All of that, much more, right at the top of the hour here in the Situation Room. Jake?
1: All right, we'll be watching. Thanks so much. Up next on The Lead, as the east coast of the U.S. struggles under the Canadian smoke out in the Pacific Ocean, see the eruption that has residents of Hawaii trying to get a closer look. In our national lead, while the East Coast deals with wildfire smoke, out west in the Pacific, Hawaii is dealing with a different kind of smoke. This one coming from a volcano. Hawaii's Kilauea volcano began erupting early this morning as live webcam footage spotted fissures at the base of the Haile crater. The Hawaii Volcano Observatory raised the alert level for Kilauea to red for warning. But officials assured on Twitter that, quote, at this time, there is no indication that populated areas are in any way threatened. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky, if you have an invite. I'm back on the TikTok at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN if you ever miss an episode of the show. You can listen to The Lead once you get your podcast. All two hours just sitting there like a delicious serving of poi. Our coverage continues now with one Mr. Wolf Blitzer. He is right next door, kind of in a place I like to call the Situation Room.
0: When you work, you work next level. when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599.